Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to one song. Very best podcast. We want you to listen to all these fun facts. <laughs> if you want to know, I don't have that oh, part. you don't know that part. I, that part's oh, too complicated. It okay, it's in E flat. I'm not that good of a keyboard. You know player. what? <laughs> this is going to be one of the best episodes of one song ever because we are doing it on the fly, much like the way that Stevie Wonder Absolutely. recorded the seminal album Talking Book. It is the one song slop episode. <laughs> I am actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Rivera. And I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter Luxury, the guy who whispers interpolation on TikTok. So this is a, an, an interesting episode because we're going to be talking about Stevie Wonder. But before we get into the song, there's something about this song and Stevie in general that we've been talking, we've been playing around with, like how it relates to the show in general, how the selection yeah. of the song, there's something, we just kind of maybe want to kind of explain a little bit about the show and how the song Absolutely, when we first started talking about this show, we talked about all the big, big artists and their, you know, huge catalog songs that we wanted to you know, talk about, and one of them, you you can't do a show about music without doing Stevie Wonder. Iconic. And at that Living point, life. we, like, looked at, you know, some of the Stevie Wonder songs you had the stems for, and we were like, oh, you got to do Superstition. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's a song that's, like, everywhere, you know, from weddings to, like, cool movies, you know, like, it's a song that everybody knows. And it sort of led to this larger discussion of, can a perfect, you know, amazing song actually become a little bit played out a little to the point out. where you don't hear it as music anymore right. and you're just like oh that's that's Stevie Wonder's superstition that's yeah. Aretha Franklin's respect that's Notorious B.I.G.'s you know hypnotized like at some point that that song really moves you yeah. and then at some point later in your life have you heard it after a the billion thousand times play, right, exactly. it's just background it's noise it's kind of wallpaper and you don't really it doesn't give you that same feeling anymore at least when you think about it in theory and one of the things that we want to do on this show is first of all that is the starting point for how we're selecting songs they are iconic songs iconic artists you have heard them a thousand times but the whole point of the show is we're going to scrape off that like layer of rust on top yeah. that may have accumulated over the listens and the years yeah. and and you're going to hear the song completely differently after you listen to the episode because we're going to play parts isolated, the stems. We're going to talk about how it came together and our emotional connection to the song. <laughs> 
and remind you of just how special the song actually is. And hopefully after you hear the episode, the song will feel fresh again to exactly. your ears. Like you won't it associate it with your drunk uncle at that barbecue, you know, embarrassing himself. Poor drunk uncle. Is there a specific drunk uncle that you have in mind when you bring up <laughs> drunk uncle? Because drunk uncle makes a lot of I, I actually on only one had one uncle, so okay. people are going to really so think I'm talking it, about Uncle Paul. They know who it is. But Uncle Paul, I love you. Rest in peace. I you were you were sometimes you drank, but you were never <laughs> that guy. You right. were never that uncle. You're never that guy. Yeah, we love you, Uncle Paul. <laughs> All right, let's get into the TV song that we're going to break down in this episode. It's a tune that most people can identify within the first few seconds, mainly because of its instantly recognizable drum loop. And that's before we get to the clavinets. It is, of course, Superstition. When you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Well, we're going to help you understand Sounds how... Sounds familiar. <laughs> well, we're going to help you understand how this song came about, how it was recorded, and how it's so unmistakably funky. <laughs> but first, Diallo, I want to change it up a little and ask you a question. Okay. What is the best way to listen to Superstition? Is this a car song? Is it headphones when you're running? Mm. When you're strutting down the street with a boombox hoisted on your shoulder? <laughs> you know how I strut. That is, First off, I, I didn't know you were watching me that you got close. Some strutting technique. And I do. I do I'm old school. I like to walk with a boombox over my shoulder uh, because I, you know, I like to keep people on their toes. Um, you know, I think it's a car song. I remember mm. that that was a big thing for Barry Gordy. Was like, you know, we make music for people to drive around in their cars right. too, and that was like a, a crazy thought. Yeah. at the time. Yeah, but, that was the test. They would take the the, the demo or the. Uh, com- nearly finished version of the song go in the car like from the studio with the big fancy speakers and then go sit in there like isn't that crazy I mean, like, Plymouth or whatever and the fact that it comes out of Detroit and yep. Motown is of course a portmanteau right. of <laughs> motor and 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 town is just like it all kind of works out but yeah I think this is I think this is actually a little bit more of like a cool sort of proto disco song if I can you know yeah. with that cool sort of you know the line between funk and disco you know at least in the classic sense is very small so it's very thin and yeah. 72 is kind of when you start having that crossover absolutely place, right how about you man what do you think is the best way to listen to classic stevie wonder superstition i gotta be honest as much as i'd like to be like a man of the streets and a man of the people the fact that i have the isolated stems which today we will be sharing th- the answer is the isolated stems it you're is, a man of the people with some stems i've got some special things but i'm a share i'm a sharer and today i will be share we will be sharing with you the answer to your question which to me the best way to listen to a song especially like superstition which we have heard a million times in the regular way which is wonderful and awesome and wedding-esque at this point it's like such a classic song you'll hear at a wedding Hearing it isolated and broken down, just one component at a time, you're in the room with Stevie, Mm -hmm. playing the drums, playing the clav, playing everything else. That, to me, is my favorite way to listen to Superstition. Why don't you go ahead and put us in the room? Let's do it. Let's get in the room with Stevie in 1972. Let's go there. So Superstition starts, as we all know, with that iconic drum intro. The drums are just... Yeah. He does a little pickup, a little fill. The second you hear it, it, you know the song. The second you hear it, you you know exactly what you're about to hear. And that's really appropriate because that's actually the genesis of how the song was written. We'll talk about that in a minute, but first, let's hear that drum beat. It's just fun to listen to. I don't want to stop listening to you. Do we have to? But we have to. Do we have to move on? Ah. So, Diala, what we just heard is, that's actually Stevie Wonder playing drums. One of the most underrated drummers of all time. Yeah, I agree. So there's a backstory to this song. 
that I want to get into. It involves British guitar legend Jeff Beck, who passed away recently, um, and probably was the inspiration for Spinal Tap's Nigel Tufnell. If you ever see pictures of them side by side, it's the same guy. <laughs> um, it starts with him coming into the Electric Lady Studios in New York. Electric Lady, for the record... I know that Hendrix recorded there. Right. Is it just a place he recorded, or did he own it? I, I believe he had it built for him. And oh, wow. the album, Electric Ladyland, I think, I don't know which came first, actually, Chicken or the Egg, was wow. the album title or the, or the studio name mm-hmm. first. But it was Hendrix's studio. And actually, part of the backstory is that Hendrix was either on tour or just away from the studio, and that's part of how there was time for Stevie to come in and, and record this record. Dope. So getting back to the superstition, the, the Jeff Beck story, Beck being the guitar legend that he was, uh, he wanted, and he, he was a huge Stevie Wonder fan, by the way. He goes on to, re- to record four Stevie Wonder covers. Yeah, I heard that it was like somebody reached out to Steve was like, hey, Jeff Beck really likes your stuff and wants to record with you. Big fan, and they were obviously mutual fans too. So they came together to write a song together for what would be Jeff Beck's next record. And Jeff sits down at the drums and starts playing that beat. Now, that wasn't him in the recording. The demo is unfortunately lost to time. I'd uh-huh. love to hear it. But he's playing that beat, and Stevie <laughs> races in the room, and he's like, ding, 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 sits down <laughs> at the keyboard, which is the clavinet keyboard. We're going to get into what that means in a moment. Okay, because I was going to ask. The importance of the clavinet and the sound, and starts playing the riff in that moment. So we have the genesis of the song like within minutes, and we're off to the races. That's great. Yeah. So keep in mind that this song was meant for Jeff Beck for his own record. And Stevie and Motown were like, sorry, guy. <laughs> they <laughs> liked too it too good. much. Yeah. That happens sometimes. Yeah. It's like, um, I feel like Prince has done that in a bunch of cases, like written something for somebody else. Yeah, yeah with Kiss. Point, he was like, That's what he did with Kiss, yeah, right? right. That was for Maserati. Well, but, it, ah, but that was an example of somebody else preparing almost the whole song. You're right. It's not an exact and then match. It was like, hey, Prince, what do you think? And then Prince is like, oh, I'm keeping it. That's a yeah. little bit different. You're right. I feel like here, okay, maybe the song was built around a beat, but, you know, to me, it sounds more like when Michael Jackson worked with Paul McCartney. Right. And they were like, oh, yeah. hey, Paul, here's a song for you called <laughs> The Girl Is Mine, yeah. and I want you to work on my song, Say, Say, Say. And then in maybe the one of the only bad decisions creatively <laughs> oh for the God. Thriller album, I totally agree. they decided to put Say, Say, Say on Paul's album and The Girl Is Mine on Thriller. Say, Say, Say Can is you, such an underrated say, banger. Say, say is an it should have been on Thriller. And it would have made Thriller on one thriller. of the greatest albums of all time. It would have been unskippable. That much better. It would have been unskippable. By the way, that sort of like collaboration that <laughs> has unexpected results, it happens yeah. all the time in comedy. I feel like there have been times when I've written a joke for some somebody else and I'm like oh this is Ooh, too you gotta good keep this one. yeah I gotta, I, gotta, yeah. I gotta keep this one right. in daddy's you know cool, you know Absolutely. armory um, yeah that's I've done the same thing with music where I've like come up with a beat because that I'm uh, intending to send to somebody else yeah. to write to and I'm like I'm gonna keep this in my back pocket because I or it happens you know what it happens a lot with it better not happen when we collaborate on music not, not yet like, you've got all this is a little good you've gotten all my song. best forget that show we get all my you get all my best we get all my best yeah. I remember a quote from James Murphy actually that changed my mind about this because I used to be protective uh-huh. I was doing a remix and I'm like oh this is too good I'm gonna keep it for myself <laughs> but he his his mentality or the way I read it was just like you know listen remember your always going to make more yeah so just in that moment it's for them just give it to them just let it go you'll you'll make more good stuff later he's like i'll have my own house of jealous lovers exactly exactly (laughs) and he did and he really he really did before we get into the next section of the music there is something really delicious throughout the drum section is how 
there's a bunch of fills and a bunch of parts <laughs> that are really sloppy in the most like wonderful, exciting way. So I want to play that for you. Literally, it's funny. Like, I think he was laughing as he played that. He's like, this is crazy. And it's like a wonderful mess. But it's like, <laughs> it's also it's also funky. Like, I think it's because, like, as he's playing his drums, he's thinking about, like, ooh, and then the, then the harmonica could go like this. You well, know, that's, like. <laughs> that's so true. Because what's interesting about Stevie is he starts recording usually not on the drums. Right. Now, this is a rare example where he is recording the drums first. But he is in his head thinking about the rest of the song. So he's building what's going to come I, next. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think funk is, funk is always at its best when it's percussive and when it's rhythm-driven. And I think that might be why this song was probably crafted in no ways like Sign Seal Delivered. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, it's one of those things that's like, you know. And, and, and also, let's just say something about... In, in in the business, it's called the Stevie slop. You know, like <laughs> it's like no. Technically, yeah. this kind of goes towards what we were saying about Ringo Starr almost in another episode of this show. Sometimes the drums don't have to be technically perfect to be fantastic, right? And I think that there's something about the fact that it is imperfect that loans it, it makes the whole song more vibey. I mean, yeah. like it it really. I think it was uh, Robert Glasper who said he had to play like you know part of this song while Stevie was there. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and Stevie insisted on making him play yeah, the Yeah, and he was like, part. Stevie, I really think you should play no. this part. And he was like, no, man, go ahead and do it. Yeah. And, of course, he's like, I don't know how to do it because it, it's actually harder to nail imperfection sometimes. Yeah. and it's so specific to Stevie's body. Like, it's yeah. just him and how he's emoting in that moment. Like, you can't replicate that performance exactly. It's not possible. Drums, him. drums, you know, drums are the structure in a lot of ways of most songs. And I think that when you can do them in sort of a sloppy way like i think about like how dilla's beat is always a little bit behind where you think it should technically right. be if you if you told ai or the computer to put the drum beat yeah. here yeah like you know that's that that's what makes it human that's such know? an interesting tension in funk as a genre too because it's simultaneously about like tautness of a beat that is an infectious groove and there's repetition and there's sort of like a droney quality to it but there's also these like you have to pepper that with these kind of with the stevie slot basically if we're yeah. gonna, i kind of want to use that now in general to mean <laughs> the kind of magic sauce you sprinkle on top to make it yeah. interesting and kind of beyond so, the grid so there you go stevie wonder we want to associate your name with slop <laughs> more on superstition after the short break Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba -ba. 
So we have the drums down, and what happened next? Remember, this is Stevie Wonder with Jeff Beck in the studio. Jeff has just played the drums, although what we heard was Stevie recording them later. But what happened next was Stevie sat down at an instrument called the clavinet, which is pretty critical for the Stevie Wonder story. Now, remember, this is 1972. Yeah. He's just recently been released from his previous Motown contract. He's still with Motown, but it's a completely different deal. Yeah. He's completely on his own. And I heard a lot freedom. of, like, you know, regular white record labels were all coming to Stevie. He was like, no, I'm going back to Motown, but I'm going to have it be on my terms. But I got a new deal. Yeah. I own my own publishing. I'm not using any of Barry's songwriters and That's producers. Right. I'm doing my own thing. Total creative freedom. And um, this instrument, the clavinet, just to explain what it is, uh, it is the sound of Stevie Wonder, 70s Stevie Wonder. It's a sound associated mm-hmm. with, there's other songs that use it, and I'll, I'll play them for you in a second, <laughs> but it is so specifically as an instrument tied to him, yeah. and possibly because of this song in particular. And I'm going to play for you the isolated clav parts and talk about the Stevie slop. Oh my God, the clav is crazy town, but just you wait. Let's hear it. <laughs> So that's the iconic riff that we all recognize. There's on the clavinet. On the clavinet. Now, now let me ask you, because I feel like not everyone listening will know what a clavinet is. I mean, they, <laughs> some of our people were like, yeah. oh, I didn't know Stevie played the clarinet. Like, it's like, no, it's a clavinet. <laughs> the clavinet, a clavinet is a keyboard. With Please the, explain the instrument. Yeah, the clavinet is a keyboard made by, manufactured by the Honer, you know, company. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Honer. Shout out to Honer. It's different from, say, the Rhodes or the Whirly. These are other very popular keyboards yeah. of the time because those are instruments where when you hit a key, it plucks, it hits the string, and then it kind of vibrates. Mm-hmm. So what you have is like dynamics. You can be loud, you can be yeah. soft. The clavinet is always the same dynamic because it's actually plucking a string, like you would pluck a harp. Mm. And in fact, it's related. It's not dissimilar to the harpsichord, which, by the way, I can play for you if you... I was going to say, I associate that with, like, the British monarchy. Right, like... like. <laughs> but if you'll hear the similarity... Lord, Lord Stevie Wonder, where have, you, where have you found the strange instrument? <laughs> Those notes are all kind of of even duration, and that's the same with... And what's interesting about that is that when you're a little messy on it, it evens it out a little bit because at least all the sounds coming are the same. So your timing can be a little crazy. You can is it auto-tune for keyboardists? It's a little bit like <laughs> auto-tune for a keyboard because check this out. There's also a second line of clavinets, which I'll play for you now. This is crazy on its own, but just you wait till you hear it together with the first one. And by the, by the way, I should point out that in spite of what I just explained, something magical about Stevie's fingers is that he does find a way to get a little bit of dynamics in there. There is a little bit of a mm. soft, loud range that he's finding. Yeah. I do not know how to do that. I am not the clav god that Stevie Wonder is. <laughs> but now check this out in the mix with that first clav god. main riff. Here are all eight clavinets going at once, which they do throughout the song. I mean, that is insane <laughs> levels insane. of complex. That is finding so many different syncopated it's like, pockets. It's like you're being hit by, 
like funky gunfire <laughs> from every direction. And you know, this kind of goes yeah. towards the heart of the episodes because like this song, yeah. Stevie Wonder is an artist, the word funky used to mean something good. Like in my lifetime, these have all been like the corniest things. Like if somebody says, oh, I like those shoes. Those are really funky. Like you're just you're like, like, oh, oh man, oh man, you, you are the oldest old man on the yeah. planet. <laughs> but there was a time when funk was where all the innovation was. I mean, it's just like if, you know, you look, you know, you go into the future and it's like, yeah. oh, you have a tech company? Good for you, old man. You know, like <laughs> it's just like it's weird to see how these things change over time. Right. But but that is amazing. I mean, I can't believe that there's that much complexity in what, what he's doing. Right, and all the interlocking parts, and there are eight different clav sounds happening at once that you hear. And as we play them isolated, you can kind of find your way to what's happening one at a time. Once you mix them, it becomes crazy town. But then, when you go back to those drums, which remember, were also themselves Stevie Slop, somehow it starts to connect in a way that's like... Magic. I can't think of a better word. Because that just fits. It does everything you want it to do. Nothing more, nothing less. I, I have to say that, like, this, this is one of my favorite things that I think we explore on this show is when an artist has such a clear idea of where they want to go that they have to invent an instrument to get there. Right. Like there are a couple of episodes where I feel like, you know, so-and-so had to create an, like I heard that when he came, this, this instrument was put together by like one of his producers, one of his session players. And like, it weighed a ton. Like so, it was like a bunch of different machines. Let's talk about what's going together. on here. Is that true? So what you're referring to actually is a completely new invented creation. It was a one-off called Tonto, which is a room filled with synthesizers that were connected mm -hmm. that was created by these two guys, Malcolm Cecil and Robert Margalef, who were Stevie's producer on this record and the three that followed, part of his classic period. Oh, now, wow. Those include Music of My Mind. Uh -huh. Uh, talking talking book, book, right? Inner Visions, which Love that record, yeah. we got to tackle yeah. Inner Visions at some point. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And the fulfillingness is right. first finale. Which has one great song on it. <laughs> but then they, they stop right before Songs in the Key of Life. Which is another great one, but uh, yeah, okay. But these two guys had this brilliant idea because don't forget, at the time, synthesizers are brand new. They're very expensive. They're very difficult to operate. They're huge. They're yeah. enormous. And Stevie's not just looking for a new way of making music. He wants new sounds. He yeah. wants new ideas. So That's great. He hears about these guys because they put out a record, actually, as Tonto. If you go back and listen to 1971, it's kind of an experimental synthy record. He hears this record. He loves this record. Tracks them down. And they put him in Electric Lady in a room, in a circle. All of the synthesizers are connected. And the reason why that's really significant is it's kind of the beginning of something we now take for granted, which is one person sitting down with all the sounds instantly <laughs> available to them yeah. to make music. Yeah. Don't forget before you had to like plug stuff in, you had to tune it, all these things that are complicated, not to mention the studio itself. This is really revolutionary. And Stevie is the first to take advantage of it and become sort of template and of the modern producer. He's, he's one of these guys who can play Solo so many producer. different instruments. Right. So yeah, it's everything set that up for one person. combination of he can play the instruments and mm -hmm. all the instruments are there. You know, when you think of Lenny Kravitz later and obviously Prince, yep. it's Stevie was arguably the first to really have wow. that situation in place. And not unimportantly, these sounds are new and weird. That's yeah. something we forget with our modern ears. Totally. But these synthesizers, the Moog bass, which we'll play in a second, that was a completely mind-blowingly new. There's deeper bass you know, frequencies that you couldn't get before. I think one thing about this album, even more than 
most albums from the 70s, it actually still sounds kind of modern. Yes. You know, like the way I, I always assumed it was the way that it was mastered, but you're right. The sounds that he was creating sound more like a more recent. Like you could have made this, this could be, some of these songs could be D'Angelo songs from like the late 90s in oh, the yeah. sense that like they sound more modern than most songs that, most albums that came out. That's a great connection too, because just thinking about like, like Voodoo, yeah. like that record is consciously, it's very dry. Yeah. And this record and these producers consciously tried to make things very dry. And we, we had on a previous episode, we talked about Amy Winehouse and that big reverby. That's a very 60s sound, yeah, yeah, yeah. the wall of sound, the yeah. Phil Spector reverb and all this. They the opposite. This is a very dry record. And I think to our modern ears, that sounds very modern, that you yeah. don't have all those effects on it. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it's had such a long life at weddings and yes. movie trailers, because it doesn't it, feel dated. It doesn't sound as dated. Yeah. So is Superstition an example of Tonto? You know, on this record, it's kind of the least Tonto-y, because oh, it's really okay. just the clav yeah. and the drums, and there's horns, obviously, too, and there's Moog bass, which I'm about to talk about. But it is technically, those are components, rather, the two keyboards are components of this giant six-foot-tall, 20-foot-long series of machines, <laughs> which is what ton. Tonto is. Yeah, which weighs Talk to me about the Moog. So let's get into the Moog. Now, Moog, by the way, is spelled M-O-O-G. And now that you've heard this, a lot of people think it's pronounced Moog. Oh, I thought it was up until you just said Moog. <laughs> um, <laughs> now we're all insiders in the Robert Moog story. The Moog was, uh, it was the bass in this song, not a bass guitar. And I'm going to play that for you. And that's what I was just referring to a moment ago. There are some frequencies that are like, you can't get on a bass guitar with the production of the era. But you could get it. it feel, you can feel it in your stomach because it's this Moog synth playing the bass line. It's like a bouncy ball. And there's some sounds like the I mean the bounciness, you can't get that bounciness on a bass guitar. Ooh. That's special. I'm reminded of Ohio Players Funky Worm. Anything Parliament is gonna be Bernie I mean, Warhol. Seriously. I, I don't like the word funky, but I like the things that funky right? describes. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's a great word, but there's something about it that feels it's like saying groovy or oh, something. Oh, it's, it's so like, musty. Mm, it, it it's feels like musty. you brought it out of the closet <laughs> with a polyester suit. It's just the worst. <laughs> it's dank, it's dusty, it's free. I was <laughs> but at say, one time yeah. it was fresh. Subversive. <laughs> Subversive and fresh. It was like, oh man, that's funky. In 1972, <laughs> when this came out, that was, you could not get yes. funkier than that rubbery bass line. It's like all, it's like simultaneously like everything else in the song. It's all over the place. It's a huge mess. And yet somehow the tightest thing you've ever heard. Absolutely. How does that, I don't understand that. You have it's to be magic. able to hold two conflicting ideas in your head at once. <laughs> so you put all these elements together and it creates one of the greatest, most memorable all-time riffs. Right. Of all time. Yeah. Real quick, because I, you know, I've, I've been a singer, I've been yeah. a drummer like you. Yeah. Um, let's get on the same page. What, how would you define riff? Uh, uh, riff is such like a magic word because what it means literally is yeah. just a repeated series of notes that has kind of as a repetition, a, a hypnotic quality yeah. that it kind of starts to compete with maybe what the vocal melody would be for what the song is in your mind. So like a perfect <laughs> example of that would be like, Led Zeppelin, you know, a whole lot of love. Da -na 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 -na. People sing that as much as a yeah, yeah. whole lot of love, if not more so, <laughs> when you think of the song. Um, the repeated element, by the way, the, the overlap between like what makes something a riff and what makes it just a funky bass line is really thin. Mm. Like in a way, the superstition riff is, you know, the bass is kind of also playing it sometimes, but like it's not a bass line, it's a riff. A riff uh. is kind of like next tier. It's like this special type of melody, type of repetition that just 
it earworms you. It digs its way into your. That's so interesting. Now, listen, we're both music nerds, okay? We both so I'm, are. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call an audible and put you on the spot. Too. Okay. Give me your favorite top three riffs of all time. Almost a perfect riff to me is, I, you know what it is? I hate. I'm hesitating to say it because it's so obvious. Go for I it. I think one of the greatest riffs of all time is "I Can't Get No Satisfaction." Yeah, it's just go for it. Impossible. Bam, bam. And it's the simplicity of it. And by the way, oh my god, for listeners, yeah, <laughs> for our listeners, uh, real fun fact about that song is yeah. that uh, the Beatles label heard that song and they were like, "Can you guys give us a song like that Stone song?" And then the Beatles did "Day Tripper." Oh no way! Yeah. I have no idea. Which is another which which is a hey, great riff. Maybe that's my number two riff of all time. <laughs> Thank you for helping me answer the question. And that also another fun fact about that is that that was intended to be in in, in Keith's mind. That was a horn riff. That was meant to be like a Motown thing. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. But on the guitar was plenty. And obviously adding that (laughs) fuzz, that super fuzz on the guitar. And maybe I'm going to go back to the Kinks for one more because I'm a huge Kinks fan. You just can't beat... What technically might even be the first guitar riff per se, because it's ostensibly the invention of distortion, is when Dave Davies from the Kinks takes a knife and rips the speaker to get that sound that we hear, and you yeah. really got me. So that's got to be up there. Those are my top three. Those are great. Yeah. Those what are about great. you? Oh, no, you can't ask me. Oh. You well, you ask. helped me with number two, so that was a collaborative <laughs> list. You know what's crazy? I'm going to go avant-garde here. I'm going to try and do, because it would be very easy for me being you know, a big fan of disco. I feel like disco gives you so many great riffs. Yeah. So many great riffs. But I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to try and do all hip hop. I'm going to do The Choice Is Yours by Black Sheep. Oh, yeah. I love that bass line. Is that a bass line or a riff, though? See, that's what I was saying before. Well, but see, that's why I think, I think to talk about riffs. Do you go away singing that as the song in your head? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Yeah, okay. in my head. But um, let's see, by, by your use of the definition, then a Millie by Lil Wayne is a riff. A Millie, a Millie, a Millie, a Millie, a Millie, a Millie, a Millie. I'm very okay, open-minded with it's definitions. It's word sample. I'm never going to be a fascist serving, about it's it. it's serving the same yeah. purpose. Are you saying a riff has to be a guitar? So here's what I would say. I'm not a fascist about anything, but especially about definitions. <laughs> I and thought I, we interviewed you before you took this position. <laughs> and it clearly says, are you a My fascist? My authoritarian tendencies are a little bit sus. <laughs> hey, I understand. now. <laughs> As a Virgo... Um, I do tend to have some control. Okay, but besides that, my organization, how, organization and control are connected, right? Where's so the you line? Feel like, I'm sorry, you feel like a if riff has to be a guitar? Here's what I'm going to say. Here's where I go. There are some, there's a word cloud. Uh-huh. There's riff. There's bass line. There's ostinato, which is like the classical version of it where you've got a repeated <laughs> melodic element and then the chords change underneath it. That's kind of what a riff can be sometimes. So these things can have connected elements. And last but not least to your question about a millie, I would say that a sample serves an incredibly similar function I think where it's, it's repeated, but it's underneath the main thing. That's what, to me, a riff really is. It's a repeated element, but it's underneath the main thing. I think, I think, which is I, the, listen, the lyric, I the think, vocal. I think, 
Well, half the time I use the word riff. I'm in comedy. That's just like, hey, <laughs> you got to stall for time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, just get out there and riff. Just means you have no script, which do? we don't know is? about on this show because there's always a very tight script on this show. Very tight. But um, but I think that I end. think that the uh, Millie sample, the baseline of the choice is yours. Yeah. I think these serve the same purposes of a yes. I can't get no satisfaction. But just to just to placate uh <laughs> resident fascist play, uh luxury, um I'm going to Is say that my new intro. I'm gonna DJ say, <laughs> producer. I'm resident fascist and tyrant um, and and local tyrant. I'm gonna say uh just to pick a guitar that um you know, I kinda think it's a riff in a boogie oogie oogie. Uh, by Taste of Honey. Yeah. I think it's a baseline, but here's what I'll give you. In the spirit of collaboration and yes, ending, I think it's all the umbrella is... A you really riff. think it has to be a riff has to be the guitar? I mean, that's what I'm saying about I'm not a fascist. It's like, okay, yeah, technically the relationship is there, but when to me, the thing that's different is there is something about a repeated element that is in the bass register. Right. It serves a different function, and the repetition of it can... Because All right, the register say, matters because it's more body, and yeah. a riff is more head. It's closer to the vocal <sighs> register, so it acts more like a melody, I think, to your brain. That's That's... Science. Right I'm, I'm going to go that with. That is science. I'm going to go bam, bam. Bam, bam. Bam, bam. Bam, Wait, what's that? Let's go crazy. Bam, bam. That's a riff. That's a riff. I hope you're happy. We agree. Oh, that's your answer. Yeah. You brought it for a circle. That's a great answer, and I kind of wish I had it. So if we can collaborate on the whole thing, those are our top four. Are we shared on the top four? We don't have to share. No, we're, we're not even talking. Anymore. I'm trying to be so collaborative. <laughs> okay, so where I want to go next is the vocals. Okay. This is Stevie Wonder in the raw superstition. When you believe in things that you don't understand and you suffer <laughs> superstition <laughs> yeah you know first off so much I love the Stevie growl <laughs> that growl like, is so satisfying you, baby. <laughs> like you know like I like it when he growls I like so the Stevie satisfying. growl also what a voice I mean like this is the reason why I feel like nobody has ever there, there are certain artists that I feel like artists should almost never cover mm -hmm. because you can't sing as you good can't as do them. It. You, you can't, can't sing as well. Sorry, grammarians. <laughs> you can't sing as well yeah. as Stevie Wonder. It's hard to cover Michael Jackson or Aretha Franklin. There's just some people. Now, I will say there are, you know, a, like a handful of Stevie Wonder covers that I think are as good and maybe, maybe surpass the original. Ooh, okay. It's, okay. You know, we'll, we, we could talk about shots it. Fired. But no, no shots fired. I mean, like, literally. <laughs> You don't want to go after Stevie Wonder. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just not done. Those vocals, amazing. And by the way, <laughs> if you like the growl, you might love the scream at two minutes and 30 <laughs> seconds. Here it I is. I think I know what part you're playing. <laughs> He's having fun in the studio. Oh, my he is, gosh. He is letting loose. He is a free man. He's got control. He's got a bank. He's got a circle, a room with a circle <laughs> of new sounds and instruments. He can play all these instruments. Yep. And he can growl and scream and run. Stevie's runs are so buttery. 
Oh, they are so, so buttery. buttery. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. it, again, out those notes. Superstition in my own lifetime, it's like one of those songs, sometimes it becomes like wallpaper, it yeah. becomes background noise. Right. But then when you when you hear his vocals, yeah. you realize this is this is magical. The, ma- the magic is in the vocals. It deserves all the success it got. Absolutely. A couple more just little fun moments, yep. just because, again, when you hear the isolated vocals, you really are trans, it's like a time machine. You go mm-hmm. back, you're in the room in 1972 when this was recorded, and you feel the fun in the room. So here's another fun moment. Oh, we were just that sounds our, like somebody else we know. We were just talking about <laughs> funkiness. And runs. There are about five songs in the, just that humming. I mean, so many songs inside this guy's brain. I would just like to take that humming yeah. and build a whole song over that. That's all you need. I want to take that humming and, and just Jeff Beckett. And that's cutting room floor stuff there. I mean, that's like, <laughs> they, I don't even know if that made it to the final because that's in the fade out. So like, you know, when you record a song, obviously you can't fade all the instruments out, but in the recording, it goes <laughs> like this, but you play until you stop. One of my favorite things to do, by the way, when we have fade out songs is to actually hear what the end of the oh, song absolutely. sounds like. Let's do that real quick. This is the actual ending of Superstition unheard until this moment. <laughs> so that big mess because because <laughs> it's Stevie doing each layer uh-huh. and he doesn't he's like oh shoot my drums just stopped I guess I got to stop playing the Moog now <laughs> and then the horns are like oh I guess the song just ended I thought it actually sounded really cool how like so much dropped out but then like there was still like a little bit of melody still yeah. in there that was great little little remnant sound yeah and that was a James Brown tune to be like you're all fired <laughs> all you Stevies are all fired Absolutely. no tightness there in the in the conclusion let's talk about the lyrics to Superstition now when I was young. This I, I don't know that I really understood it at all. You know, I was like, "What thirteen right. month old baby? Like, what, what's what's what's?" We were all thirteen months at some point. I'm gonna assume. Yeah. Um, and isn't that a toddler anyway, or an? Infant? I mean, like, you know, is that really a baby at really that point? Baby. I yeah. mean, like that that child should be maybe one word in. We'll let it go by that point. We'll let it. But, go. but we'll let that go. I mean, like, literally, it was a matter of I didn't. I don't know that I even understood what the song was about. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew what a superstition was, obviously, but you know, so much of it. Like, right before the break, I, I mentioned like wash your face and hands like i i just didn't get it and then later i was like oh well you know stevie is religious and so he was saying superstition is bad because it's you know it kind of goes against christian beliefs you know it's it's most most superstitions i think probably have a pretty pagan origin but now i think about it and I, i keep coming back to that line that you mentioned at the top of the show which is when you believe in things you don't understand you suffer you suffer and i feel like that can be more universal than anything. That's I mean, like in some weird ways, profound, yeah. you can make the case that that goes against a lot of organized religion that goes against, you know, political organizations. Like, right. you know, it could be, it can mean a lot of things. And I think in that, in that meaning, a lot of things, it can be a more universal message. I, I totally agree. And I have to say that I assumed, I, I so suppose I have some awareness of Stevie's religious affiliation, yeah. but to me, this song, to your point, feels like anti any sort of authoritative, structurally driven like right. belief system. Right. So that could be, you know, I suppose superstition is the opposite of it being structural, but it's any belief system that doesn't, in which you don't under, fully understand 
what the rules are. If you don't yeah. fully understand what's going on, but you just take it in on faith. <laughs> Listen to this song, I didn't fully though. understand what was going right. on. Like, right. Did, right. You know, I well, always, thought, I always thought the chorus was superstition leads the way, you know, until we started prepping this episode. Yeah. So, you know, it just kind of goes to show that um, sometimes the best art is open to interpretations. Open inter- inter- interpretations. Let me, open no to- interpretations, but I, I know you could pay for the usage of I the word. I get paid inter- by the <laughs> interpolation committee. Do you have any superstitions? I used to. I think one part of my recent self-esteem journey, honestly, like I'm connecting those two. I really am. Like therapy, self-esteem, all this stuff has been to not have fears that are unfounded in like, you know, that you don't understand by this presumption of there being this something that you're like in Mm -hmm. danger of upsetting in the world. Like there are, there's something in Buddhism called wisdom fear, which is when they're, when you're at the corner and there's like a a red light and there are cars coming, wisdom fear is if you go, you'll get hit. That's, that kind of fear is good. Yeah. You want wisdom fear is there's a situation that I'm going to be careful of. Yeah. But the lack, like not wisdom fear would be like the type of thing where it's like, well, I can't get out of the shower until like, you know, some sort of system you have in your head until- Or like, until I can't the, walk under this ladder. That's, or I can't walk, right. Or or exactly right. These like typical superstitions yeah. or sort of things that you create in your mind as rules out of fear. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, I recently became aware of the fact that I full on have a superstition. What is it? It is splitting the pole. And do you, have you ever heard of splitting the pole? No, what does that mean? Okay, so this is another thing. I think this might be a black or southern thing because I was asking people about it and a lot of people have not heard about it. But when you're walking somewhere and there's like, let's say there's like a sign, uh-huh. you know, like on a pole. Is it when you're with somebody like, else? Yeah, when you're walking with somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. and you walk on opposite sides of that sign post or that opposite sides of that lamppost, that... Growing up, that was always where I grew up in Atlanta, yeah. Georgia, uh, predominantly black Southwest Atlanta. Um, that was called splitting the pole. And like recently, I was walking somewhere with my kids, and we and he walked on the other side of the pole. I was like, "You get back around that's that pole. so interesting. You go back around. I that never pole. heard that. Otherwise, expression. our souls will be separated for all eternity." Okay, that's blowing my mind a little bit because I didn't have the expression. But where I grew up in San Francisco, the Bay Area of California, yeah. we didn't call it that. But the idea, what you had to do <laughs> if you were with somebody and that and, and there was something coming, you'd have to say bread and butter. What? I swear to God, we call bread that and bread butter. and butter. And that's how you get over the problems potentially caused by not saying bread and butter. <laughs> oh, so it's like a knock on wood or something like that. It's just so you guys a, can actually walk on the other sides of the pole. You it, just as long as you say the phrase that pays, as long as you say, which is bread, <laughs> bread and, butter. and butter. And similar to that, similar to that, you are supposed to say on the last thing you say when you go to bed at the end of the month, mm-hmm. on like January thirty first before February first. The oh, last thing you deep. say, you're supposed to say hair hair, and then the first thing you say when you wake up is rabbit rabbit. So you're bringing this all back. These Lord, super, that is so complicated. So complicated. And you have to do it 12 times a year. <laughs> it's actually 24 things events. you learn. You have to do 24 things all year. Like, so that you was don't part do of, any of this anymore. I don't do it. It's been a long time since I did these <laughs> things. But I just remembered that I did have them in my life. And you're not suffering anymore. And I'm not suffering And anymore. you're not suffering. No. Meanwhile, my kids better not split the pole. No. If they're listening. If my wife splits guys, the pole, no pole I'm pole. like, you go back. <laughs> you redo. And by the way, sometimes you redo. with like multiple people. So like once you realize you split a pole, you had, which side of the pole did you go? Like it becomes very complicated. Sometimes oh, you have I'll to redo just it exactly back. the same sometimes way? I'll just walk back. You have to reset. It's easier that way. Okay. What are the consequences of splitting the pole? Your souls are separated for eternity. That's what blew my mind. Because like, I think implicit in the bread and butter story was some kind of equally horrible fate, but it wasn't ever explicitly mentioned to that. No, your souls are separated. And I'd like to see my kids. 
So we're coming to the end of this episode about Stevie Wonder's superstition. You know, one thing that we always wanted to do when we set out to do this show was talk about songs that we loved, but also songs that are just out there in the universe. And this is one of those songs, I think when we first started talking about this specific song, we were like, oh, is that song like... You know, is it played out? Right. Is it something that we've heard to it? Like, it's always do, the line. Either we're trying of us absolutely to love out. this song. Yeah. Like, and I think that one thing that we landed on is that it's so important to understand why some of these songs have managed to stay out there. Right. And can can you can you talk a little bit about that? And also Stevie's legacy. Like, I think the other thing that we were agreed was right. that there are artists that I think you and I kind of like love more. Right. than Stevie. But I think when you take a step back and look at Stevie's catalog, it is amazing. Let's, let's yeah. talk about his legacy. Well, when you say that, I think of two things. One, just personally, because my experience of, of hearing this song was like, like I think a lot of people, like at some point, the Sesame Street episode <laughs> where they're playing Superstition and it's just mind-blowingly like, it just taps into all of the good feelings, all of the like, you know, tingly yeah. tinglies. Part of that though is because I think there are different time periods where when you hear stuff, it impacts you in different ways. And when you are a preteen and it's not, you're not fully aware of what the song is, for example, and maybe years later you hear it and because you heard it in that moment, it becomes like this rosebud or like the Proustian Madeline. Like it just evokes nostalgia and you can't put your finger on Mm. it, which is a little different than when you're a teenager and you kind of get right. your, your your music and it's a tribal thing and it's the friends. And it's part of your identity. It's part of your identity. Yeah. It's part of the experiences. We went to Taylor Swift together and there, there <laughs> there's these sort of social reasons behind it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. for me, this song taps into that first area of like, it's it's lodged in the brain pleasure center somewhere and will never be yeah, removed. I think, I think it's so important, you know, like we, we, we try to take sort of a positive spin on most of these songs and I think that it's so important to remember that even if Stevie Wonder is not like the artist that it's not, if you talk to people our age and younger, he's not always the first artist that pops to mind. Who's your favorite artist? Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think it's important to hear these songs the way that they were heard when they were first released I, before they got in every movie. When they were still fresh and wedding sounding. Yeah. I feeling. mean like growing up, I will even say like my favorite Stevie Wonder song was not superstition or Sir Duke or I wish you know, they're, they're, right. they're, they're those songs in the Stevie Cannon, yeah. uh, Science Seal Delivered. Those weren't yeah. my favorite. My favorite was probably Ribbon in the Sky, which is like a super R&B, wow. you know. Deeper cut, frankly. But that's the thing. It wasn't a deep cut. For you. If you're growing up in an all-black school in okay. Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Well, ribbons in the sky for Stevie has that catalog. But that's actually kind of part of what we're talking about. There's something about the artists for whom there was a shorter period of time that they made music. Like the Beatles only made music, only recorded for seven years. Yeah. And therefore they benefit a little bit in our consciousness. Yeah, you can actually know every Beatles From the scarcity. Because it's it's so small. And then like, sometimes when I think about Stevie Wonder, I'm like, what about Skeletons? That song from like the late 80s, you know what I mean? Yes, we we talk about Stevie's like that run of albums that he's at the beginning of with Superstition, and that's his classic period. But then 50 more, 45 more years went by after Songs in the Key of Life. Right. And I haven't heard all that music. And, And I... Another like Prince is another example of that. I don't know all the Prince music. You, I'm a, a lot huge of us Prince were not fan. buying Prince albums in 2003. Yeah, you yeah. Know, musicology was almost like a comeback for him. So, and it, even that was like it didn't carry him all the way to 20. 20- 
14. I would be at the shows, no. but like, you know, yeah. It feels a little unfair to say that, like to be a living legend and an icon who makes it to 72, <laughs> makes it to 80, yeah. almost does something momentarily detrimental, not detrimental. I don't know what the word is, but it puts the catalog into a different category. Whereas whole, if yeah. you're Joy Division <laughs> or, or Nirvana, yeah. you benefit, or Notorious B.I.G. There's yep. there's something about There's, there's always been something sexy about leaving the sexy corpse, and, uh, sadly, yeah. In, yeah. in music. Yeah. And, you know, I always say, like, imagine if Michael Jackson, you know, Biggie dies on the eve of the release of Life After Death. Imagine if Michael Jackson died on the eve of the release of Bad, or even... Or even um, <laughs> Dangerous. Right. So it's right. just something before all the issues that he had in the 90s and the 2000s. Right. Like people would talk about him as a deity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it, it would and just be. It doesn't feel fair. As, like, I'm, we're not saying that this is a good thing. It's just like it's an interesting Yeah, it's not kind really of, fair. It doesn't feel fair. When David Stevie Bowie died, deserves, I was like listening to all the David Bowie stuff from like the 70s and the 80s, maybe a little bit of the 60s, but like. You know, very few people were picking up his albums from like, I'm sure he had an album in 2010 or 2011. Yeah. You know, but. Um, it's but, an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, for the record, uh, Stevie Wonder, we're happy you're alive. Oh, absolutely. We, we want to celebrate that. And we want to give you your flowers right now. But this while is, you're still with us. This is more of a cultural thing, I think. We just, we, we, there's youth and currency is obviously a big part of what drives the culture yeah. and to the detriment of the icons who live to c- continue to make their art, their music, their write their books, whatever it is. We're just, they're kind of locked in this maybe zone where they had their initial burst of creativity on the scene or some innovation or whatever it is. And I think, I'm not sure if that's a product of just how the culture works or how right. the world works, but Stevie Wonder deserves to be. I'm glad we He's, pulled he needs back. He to be in that pantheon. I'm glad we pulled back the layers on this song and we're reminded both you and I personally of, of how genius, amazing it is. Of, of the, the genius, genius of Stevie Wonder. Yeah. And with that in mind, the last thing I want to talk about here is how Stevie songs are, are, are kind of ubiquitous. Yes. You know, in the culture, at weddings, we said at weddings, movie trailers and all that kind of thing. I, I can't remember the last time I was at a wedding <laughs> didn't have at least one Stevie jam. But I, I don't want to talk about those songs. I want to talk about those Stevie songs. Um, they can be on Talking Book or something else that really means, like, your. what is your favorite obscure or, like, that Stevie Wonder song that you don't think enough people know about? And let, let's give it a platform right now. What is what is your Stevie Wonder song that isn't the Stevie Wonder wedding song? I, I really love You Got a Bad Girl. Like, to me, that is Stevie sort of inventing the sort of, like, jazz fusion that's going to be so prominent in R&B music in the mid to, you know, late 70s. Like, if you just think about how the chords start off on that song, the... You notice I hummed it, and I'm not going to sing it because, again, nobody wants to try and sing like Stevie Wonder unless you can right. really blow. But, like, that chord construction, like, it hits me every time. And then it goes, in, you got it, bad girl. Uh, like, it, it, I love you talk that. of chills. I love that. Like, no, no, that, that one. song, you got it, bad girl, is so dope to me. Yeah. Like, it just sounds so good. And that's not a song that I feel like. You know, <laughs> I would love it. And yeah. so it's like, hey, man, can you play some Stevie Wonder? And then I put on, you got a bad girl to like bring the dance floor to a complete stop. <laughs> like that would make, but I think that like nobody can do those, those complex jazz 
structured right. chords it's like jazz, Stevie. It's funk. It's pop all at Ooh, once. Yeah, it's, it's, it's R and B. Exactly. He 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 took jazz and kind of made it pop friendly, which by the seventies is is already becoming oh, a little unheard of. You are the sunshine of my life. Like right out the gate, you get these crazy chord changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, and this is pop radio, and this yeah. is melodic, and it's instantly accessible you know, the lyric and everything, but it is, there's jazz happening under the surface. There absolutely which is. Which is I mean, stealth that jazz. That one in particular, I feel like that one is... Uh, Harmonically speaking. It, it, that one feels like Burt Baccarat to it, me in, in the best comparison. way. No, no, that's a great... Did I pronounce his name comparison. right? Is you that did, Baccarat? You did. Okay, cool. Great comparison. Yeah, like, you are the sunshine of my life. Like, there's a lightness and there's an air flowing through it that, yeah. you know, I, I think that's the best way for me to describe it. Yeah. But there's something like smoky jazz club, mysterious fun... Smoky, that's good. ...about... You got it. It's bad. like that blood orange. It's like a little bit like harshness <laughs> that makes it more special. Do you know what I it mean? It is like, direct to table yeah. music. Direct to <laughs> farm table. to table. Farm to table jazz. You can tell Curated. I don't eat organic. Instagram I can't afford jazz. that. <laughs> organic food is always the most expensive. I, by the way, I got an answer for you. Um, what is your answer? I don't know how much of a deep cut it is, but my favorite Stevie Wonder song is probably uh, "Love Having You Around." Wow. Every day I wanna ride my bike. Boom boom. I'll get on my camel and ride. Ride, baby. That's my I'm gonna favorite be honest one. Here. I don't know that song. I love that track. That's on um, Music of My Mind. Okay. And I'm going to um, go, go listen to it. And what's my, the other one? My second favorite, and this is a little bit of a cheat because it's a, it's a Stevie written song, but not performed by. And that would absolutely be, and it's neck and neck with the other one I said for number one, what, but it's, it's Tell a, Me Something Good by oh, yeah, Rufus featuring Rufus. Shaka Khan. He wrote that? He wrote that. Tell me something good. And it's got the cloud on it, by the way. For real? That is maybe, that's in like the top seven of all time songs for me, period. I did not know that. Yeah. What are are some other songs that have the clav? Uh, you know, there's a few good songs you want to talk about. I heard, that? I heard Machine Gun, yeah. one of my favorite Commodore yeah. songs. I oh, heard that's the class. And you, by the way, you kind of alluded to this earlier. The reason why it's called Machine Gun, because that's an instrumental. The reason why that Commodore song is called Machine Gun is because when Barry Gordy heard the clav in it, which was still a new instrument, uh-huh. don't forget, it sounded like weapons, like firing. Like to gun- it sounded like wow. gunfire. I think they had another title machine in mind, but, but Barry from Barry Gordy's like, no, you're calling it machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are no lyrics, so we, I, I was always waiting for them to say machine gun. Um, can I throw in one more? Earlier in the episode, I said that you should never cover Stevie. Yeah. But really be scared if Stevie covers you, because he might absolutely steal Obliterate your fire. Obliterate your original. Yeah. He might steal yeah. your fire. Speaking of fire, my favorite cover of, the, of Stevie covering someone else is The Doors Light My Fire. He has an amazing cover of Light My Fire, okay. which is so epic. I think it, as much as I love Light My Fire by yeah. The Doors, his version, it, it just sounds very different. It yeah. sounds very different. And uh, if, you ha- if you don't know it, go out and check it out. Stevie Wonder, Light My Fire, I can, amazing cover. I can very much imagine preferring that over the original. <laughs> no shade intended, but a little shade intended. Not the biggest Doors fan. There's Not only the one door left, I think, so you might be safe. Oh, okay. I think I might be safe from the repercussions <laughs> of that statement. Okay. All right, Luxury, help me in this episode. This is the end of the episode of 
about it's hard. You know what? Stevie Wonder is a freaking genius. So many reasons. Not the least <laughs> I of think which. That's, that's my big takeaway too. Not the least of which is like playing that part and ta- and doing anything with your mouth, like to even talk while playing. That is freaking difficult. That is really I difficult. I cannot. I cannot do that. That is really. I, all it's, I, sorry, it's easier to be the resident fascist than the resident clavinet <laughs> expert. Literally, yeah, all I, I can it. do with a clavinet in my mouth is say a sentence with the same notes in the same rhythm. Like that's and that's not useful because that's not what we need here. We need that to, may not be the international hit that Tamla needs. And you know, Tamla need Ricketts needs a hit. Tamla needs a hit, and it's not that. But what we need to do is end this show. We do need which to end has this been show. One of my favorites to tape. I'm going to be honest with it's you. Been a lot of fun. It's got the Stevie slop all over it, <laughs> and I love it. But you know who I am? Because I'll tell you. Who are you? I am producer, DJ, and songwriter, Luxury. Who are you? I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Room. And this is One Song. We will see you next time. We will see you next time on One Song on Sirius XM. Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart. One Song is a Sirius XM and Kevin Hart's LOL Radio production. It's hosted by me, Luxury, and my friend Diallo Riddle. This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson and Jordan Colling with engineering from Marcus Hom. Additional production support from Leslie Guam, Charles Childers, and Alicia Shimada. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Weil. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.